Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. You shall not steal. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 20 as we discover why we should respect the property of others. We're in a series I'm calling The Ten. We're gaining a fresh look at God's most basic laws for living. We call them the Ten Commandments. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. In recent months, we've really seen an alarming rise in retail thefts. Thugs rush into shopping malls and jewelry stores, leaving with bags of stolen goods. It's just one of the many ways that people are stealing from their neighbors. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress calls on all Americans to heed God's Eighth Commandment. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. If someone challenged you to quote all of the Ten Commandments from memory, could you do it? Well, most of us would be hard-pressed to do so. And yet, these guardrails from God, written to keep us safe, are the backbone of civility. For generations, the Ten Commandments have informed the legal systems in healthy countries all around the world. For these reasons and more, I want to send you my latest book titled, The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. Though it's hot off the printing presses, my book has already become a national bestseller. And it's yours for just a few more days when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Plus, the book will arrive at your home along with a collection of 10 encouragement cards. Each card features one of the Ten Commandments so that you can carry a reminder of these simple truths in your coat pocket or handbag. Well, these days, economic hardship on American families is at the forefront of our minds. Rising inflation and economic uncertainty have put some in dire situations. As a result, we're seeing an unprecedented rise in theft. So, what does the Bible have to say about stealing? God's opinion is clearly spelled out in the Eighth Commandment. I titled today's message, Respect the Property of Others. In just a minute, we're going to look at four ways we commonly break this Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. Now, the Eighth Commandment we're looking at today, you shall not steal, is much like the last two commandments. In the, in the original Hebrew text, it is only two words. Remember, the Sixth Commandment was no murder. The Seventh Commandment, no adultery. The third commandment is equally blunt, the eighth commandment, no stealing. Moses later expanded on that in Leviticus 19, 11 and 13 when he wrote, do not steal, do not defraud or rob your neighbor, do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Paul wrote, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. High school seniors, this is a very important principle for you to understand at the beginning of your college education and as you try to find God's will regarding your work. The primary method God gives for acquiring property is through our work. 
That is, we must labor performing what is good according to our hands. We can work for money, we can inherit money. Those are legitimate ways to acquire property, but the Bible says the illegitimate way is through theft, through stealing it. Let him who steals, steal no longer. Why do people steal? The basis, the reason we steal is because of covetousness. We're not satisfied with what we have, and we think somebody else has too much. And so we steal, breaking both the eighth and the 10 commandments. Now, I know you're gonna think, well, this is one sin I'm not guilty of. I've never stolen anything. But remember, there's more than one way to commit adultery, more than one way to murder, more than one way to lie, as we'll see next time. There's also more than one way to steal. Let me mention four ways we violate this commandment. The first way is by despoiling. Despoiling. I know. I wasn't familiar with that word either. I was looking up for a word to help me in my sermon outline, in my alliteration, <laughs> and came across this word despoiling. You know what despoil means? One theologian says it's an act of violence when a man's goods are forcibly plundered and carried off. It's armed robbery. That's what despoiling is, forcibly taking from somebody else what doesn't belong to them. How many of you have ever been the victim of a mugging or the break-in of a car or even your own home? How many of you have had that? Large number of people. You know how violated you feel when somebody invades your space. But it's not just armed robbers who despoil people. Students who cheat on an exam, you're invading somebody else's space to take what is not yours. Employees who take home office supplies to profit themselves. Did you know it's even possible to steal ideas from people uh, without giving them credit? Claim for your own what really belongs to somebody else. A few years ago, I received an email from a woman in Georgia. She and her husband watched Pathway to Victory on Saturday nights on their local TV station. She said in her email, imagine my surprise after listening to you Saturday night when I went into our church Sunday and heard our pastor preach your message basically word for word. And not only that, he passed out an outline that had come directly off your website. Now, that doesn't bother me at all, you know. Everything's grist for the preacher's mill, Dr. Crystal used to say. But if you're gonna quote extensively from somebody, whether in a paper at school, or whether in a sermon or a speech, if you're gonna do it word for word, give credit. Don't pretend it's yours if it's not yours. That's how we despoil, by taking by force. A second way that we steal is through dishonesty. This is a little more subtle, but it's misrepresenting truth in order to gain from other people. Now, in biblical times, the way you did that was to have dishonest scales and balances. In Proverbs 11.1, 1, Solomon says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. If you were buying a commodity from a merchant and he had a false weight or a false balance, he might tell you he's giving you a quart of oil when he's just giving you three quarters of a quart of oil. He might tell you you're getting a pound of wheat when you're just getting a half a pound of wheat. Now today, we're much more sophisticated in how we misrepresent the truth. 
How many of you have ever received one of those phishing emails trying to get you to surrender personal information? Uh, Amazon tells you, oh, we've messed up your order and we need your social security number. Well, it's not Amazon or your bank telling you that you've got deficient funds. It's somebody trying to get information from you. In fact, just Friday afternoon, I was told there is a man in the country right now calling people on the phone pretending to be me and saying that uh, I need your credit card uh, for $500, please give me your credit card number. Now, I want to assure every viewer a pathway to victory. I am not going to be calling you, asking you for your credit card number, unless I really need it. But uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I, I won't do that under any circumstances. So that's somebody misrepresenting the truth. That is dishonesty. There's another third way that we steal, despoiling, being dishonest. Thirdly, defrauding somebody. Defrauding means not paying somebody else what we owe them. It might be failing to pay a debt, a legitimate debt we have. Proverbs 3, 27 to 28 say, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's your in your power to do it. Don't say to your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow and I will give you what you're owed. If you've got the ability to pay a debt, pay it. One reason we have sky high consumer interest rates on credit cards is because people who don't pay their debts. Another, by the way, debt we owe people is not just one another, but we owe the government a debt. When you refuse to pay your taxes, you are defrauding government of what belongs to them. Yes, it belongs to them. Matthew 22, 21, Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. In fact, how many of you have heard the verse, owe no man anything except a debt of love? You know that scripture? But most people don't know the context of that scripture it has to do with paying your taxes to government. Romans 13, Paul has just talked about government being ordained by God. Listen, most people don't realize this. God created not just the church, not just the church and family. He created three institutions, the church, the family, and government. Government is just as much of a God-created organization as the church is or the family is. And he's given to each of those three organizations specific responsibilities. They aren't to get in somebody else's lane to do their responsibility. They're to keep their God-ordained responsibility. And the responsibility of government is to protect its citizens from evildoers. And Paul says in verse 6 of Romans 13, you also pay taxes for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Rendered all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, owe no one anything except to love one another. Don't be delinquent in paying anyone, including the government, what is owed them. Another way we defraud people, not only failing to pay a debt, but failing to treat employers and employees fairly. Paul addresses this in Colossians chapters 3 and Chapters four, he says, for example, workers, when you don't give your employer a full day's work for a full day's wage, you're defrauding them. 
He says in verse 22 of Colossians 3, in all things obey those who are over you on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men. Here's the Jeffers paraphrase. Don't work when the boss is looking only. Work when the boss isn't looking, knowing that the big boss is always looking. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Give your employer a full day's work for a full day's wage. But he also has a word for employers. He says in Colossians 4.1, be sure you're treating your employees with justice and fairness, knowing that you have a master in heaven. We're to be fair with our employees. We're to pay them what they're worth and what they're due. We're not to take advantage of them. One, things I, one of the things I so appreciate about our church, our executive pastor, Ben, works very carefully with the personnel committee to make sure our staff is being paid equitably, fairly, and they do that. Our personnel committee is great about doing that, and that's one of the reasons we continue to be one of the top 100 places in Dallas people want to work at because we treat people fairly. That's important. That's a biblical principle. A third way we defraud is not only refusing to pay our debt or refusing to treat employees and employers equitably, but failing to give to God what he commands. That is a form of robbery. You say, wait a minute. Can you really rob God of something? Can you really stick your gun in his face and say, stick him up? Well, God said you can, and here's how. Malachi 3, he asked the very same question. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you, God? God answers in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. What's the remedy for it? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there might be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows for you of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. There's a fourth way we rob people, and that is by defaming them, robbing them of their most important possession, their reputation. Whenever we spread slander and gossip about another person, we are guilty of robbing them of their reputation. That is, by the way, such a serious offense that God devotes a whole commandment, the ninth commandment, to that specific sin that we'll talk about next time. Let me say a word now about the cost of violating the eighth commandment. When we steal something from somebody else, no matter how we do it, we're certainly robbing them of something valuable, but listen to this. We're also robbing ourselves of something very valuable. It's found in 1 Timothy 1 verse 19. Paul said, be sure to keep faith and a good conscience. With some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Do you remember what a clear conscience is? Paul says that it's essential if you're going to succeed in your relationship with God. Here's the definition of a clear conscience. It's the knowledge that neither God nor anybody else can accuse you of a wrong you've not attempted to make right. A clear conscience is that assurance that neither God nor anyone else can accuse you of a wrong you haven't attempted 
you haven't attempted to make right. Are there certain people you try to avoid? You don't want to run into. If you see them coming, you go the other way. It's because you don't have a clear conscience. You're afraid they're going to accuse you of something between you that you've not attempted to make right. Now, lots of people who can accuse you and me of doing wrong, but the key is that we've not attempted to make right. That's what a clear conscience is. There are some people who avoid God. They don't come to church. They don't read their Bibles. They don't pray because there's a gulf between them and God. They haven't confessed. They haven't made right what is wrong between them and their creator. When you steal from somebody and you haven't confessed it and attempted to make it right, you're going to suffer from a guilty conscience. Let me ask you this question. Do you have the assurance that when you meet God one day, you won't be ashamed on the day of judgment, as the Bible says? Are you sure that God won't be able to accuse you of any wrong that you haven't made right? I came across this week an amazing story. I had not known it. Maybe you have. It's from the life of Davy Crockett, whom we often associate with the Alamo. Many people don't know that before Davy Crockett came to Texas, he was a sophomore congressman from Tennessee. And during the legislative session of 1829 to 1830, one of the primary goals of the newly elected president, Andrew Jackson, was the passage of the Indian Removal Act. Now, that's a nice-sounding name from stealing land from the Indians, uprooting them from their southeastern homes in the southeastern United States, and relocating them to Indian territory, which is present-day Oklahoma. To make that journey, they had to travel along the Trail of Tears, it was caused. Not only because so many Indians lost their life in the process, but also because it meant the giving up of their tribal lands. Andrew Jackson was a Tennessean. Davy Crockett was a Tennessean. So it was thought that Davy Crockett would certainly vote with the president in this matter, and that because they were both Tennesseans, that uh, he would actually champion this measure by President Andrew Jackson. Davy Crockett did neither. Here's what he said about this. It was expected of me that I was to bow to the name of Andrew Jackson and follow him in all of his motions and turnings, even at the expense of my own conscience and judgment. Such a thing was new to me. His famous, or rather I should say infamous, Indian plan was brought forward, and I opposed it for the purest motives in the world. Several of my colleagues got around me and told me how they loved me but I was ruining myself. They said this was a favorite measure of the new president and I ought to go for it. I told them I believed it was wicked, an unjust measure, and that I should go against it, let the cost to myself be what it might. I voted against this Indian bill, and my conscience yet tells me that I have a good, honest vote, one that I believe will not make me ashamed on that day of judgment. Davy Crockett finished his term, was promptly defeated in his bid for re-election, came to Texas, gave his life at the Alamo for Texas independence. And yet when he met his creator, he met him with a clear conscience. He knew he could not be accused of stealing property that was not rightfully his. Will you be able to face God that way? 
knowing that there's no wrong in your life you haven't attempted to make right. Well, Pastor, I'm guilty of one, if not all of those ways of stealing, taking what's not mine. What should I do? A good answer to that is found in the story of Zacchaeus, that wee little man in Luke chapter 19. Remember his story? Zacchaeus was a Jew, but he was a tax collector for the Romans. He had purchased the right from the Romans to collect taxes, and the Romans allowed him to charge whatever he wanted, get as much money as he could as long as he sent the right amount to Rome. And so he stole from his fellow Jews. He stole a lot of money. He was very rich. But that all changed one day when he was up in that sycamore tree and Jesus passed by and pointed him out and said, Zacchaeus, guess what? I'm coming to your house to eat today. Zacchaeus was so excited. He invited the Lord in, other guests. We don't know what the conversation was that day, but midway in the conversation, Zacchaeus stood up and said, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, and the Greek conditional clause, the first conditional clause is, and since I have defrauded, I will give back four times as much. That was interesting because the Old Testament law, Leviticus 6, 5, only required that if you've stolen something, you give what you stole back and add 20% to it. Zacchaeus said, no, I'm going to do 400%. Remember what Jesus said when Zacchaeus made that proclamation? Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Was Jesus saying Zacchaeus purchased his salvation by giving money to the poor and making restitution? No. But what he was saying is this. Zacchaeus' willingness to make restitution was proof, was evidence that he had received the gift of salvation. Yes, if you've stolen from somebody else, you can be forgiven. But with that forgiveness by God comes a responsibility a responsibility to make restitution, to pay back what you've stolen, and to go and sin no more. By now, I hope you've come to understand the relevance of the Ten Commandments in today's world. This has been a wonderful new study that started the first Monday in October and concludes early next week. Time is running short to request your copy of my brand new book that covers all of God's Ten Commandments. The book is titled, The Ten. The subtitle says it all, how to live and love in a world that has lost its way. I've had the privilege of writing dozens of books, but I believe this one is among the most important. My hope is that God will use this book to enlighten countless readers around the world to embrace the Ten Commandments as their own. My book is a great choice for your small group Bible study or your Sunday school class, or to read together as a family. I'll be happy to send you a hardcover copy of the Ten when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. I can assure you that your gift, no matter its size, will truly make a difference. Listen to this encouraging note from Sedgwick, who benefits from Pathway to Victory in Zambia, Africa. He wrote, Your ministry is helping me become fully equipped for the work of God. As a church elder, I'm passing on my wisdom and what I know about the Bible to the younger members of the church. 
I am living proof that Pathway to Victory is enriching the church throughout the world. Well, thank you, Sedgwick, for those encouraging words. And friends, thank you for partnering with Pathway to Victory. Together, we are reaching the far corners of the world with the bright light of God's Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous gift to Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request a copy of the brand new book from Dr. Jeffress called The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. Here's our toll-free number, 866-999-2965, or visit online at ptv.org. And when your gift is $100 or more, you'll receive not only the book, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the 10 teaching series. Plus, we'll also include a study guide. Now, that's perfect for Sunday school class or a small group Bible study. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or visit us online at ptv.org. You could also write to us if you'd like. Here's that address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Sure, everybody tells little white lies, right? I mean, what's the harm in bending the truth a little if nobody gets hurt? Well, God doesn't see it that way. Learn the true spirit behind the Ninth Commandment. That's Thursday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. The Pathway to Victory cruise to Alaska with Dr. Robert Jeffress set sail from Vancouver, British Columbia on June 15, 2024. Join me along with musical artists Rebecca St. James and Michael O'Brien and comedian Dennis Swamberg for a vacation you'll never forget. I promise you will come back spiritually, physically, and emotionally refreshed. Book your spot on the seven-day Pathway to Victory cruise to Alaska at ptv.org.